I'm sure many of you, possibly, if you knew we were talking about money today, you'd have had a little cough or something like that. Nobody wants to talk about money. But uh, it's biblical. It's biblical. And, and, and we are coming to the closing of, of 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're here in chapter 16. And, and I pray that God has used this letter in, in a mighty way. In a mighty way. I can, I can honestly say that God has um, confronted me regarding some um, attitudes. Uh, confronted me regarding some passages that I thought I knew what they said, I thought I knew what they were talking about, the, the areas of truth, behavior, uh, opinions, convictions, and I, and I pray that's been the same uh, for you as well in this letter. And, and, I, and I can honestly say that I would have, um, I would have in, a, in a somewhat of an, probably an arrogant way, said that I knew some of these passages and what they taught better before we walked through this book then I really realized that I did, having walked through this book. Having taken the time to walk uh, more or less verse by verse, I mean, we, we've kept it at a, at a pretty good pace. Um, I can honestly say I probably came to some of the passages here in 1 Corinthians and I had been told what they said. I had heard what they taught instead of digging in for myself. And I think that's the challenge for all of us. We hear the Bible says this, or we've heard the Bible says that, but have we taken the time to, to dig in for ourselves? I, I thought about the Bereans in Acts 17, and it says that they searched the Scriptures, examining the Scriptures to see whether the things taught to them were so. That ought to be, we ought to be like the Bereans, examining the Scriptures. Not because Chris said it, not because you heard it on the radio, not because, no, no, you, you, you trust it and believe it and know it so because you studied the Scriptures yourself. Because you tested the spirits yourself. And, and I pray that we would be open to being taught. I, I feel like I'm open to being, I, I can honestly tell you, some of the chapters here in 1 Corinthians, I taught them in a far different way than I probably believed going in. And I hope that we stay humble. I hope that we don't come to the Word of God and stand over it in judgment, that, but that we would stand under it in submission, that we would allow it, whatever it says, Lord, I'll do it. Whatever it says, Lord, I'll seek to do it at least. And, and, and I love God's Word, and I, I pray that you do. I pray that you're growing. And, and more than anything for this church, what I want is us to be growing in grace, growing in a knowledge of God's Word, growing in, in allowing this Word to overflow through our lives. I, I, if, you, if you were to ask me as, as I was sitting through this, and I think all the time, my, what's my vision for this church? What do I want more than anything for this church? It would be that we were growing in a love for one another and that we were growing in a love for God's Word, that we were maturing as believers. I, I, I don't want us to be programmed to death. I don't want us to wait on programs. I want, it, I want God's Word to be flowing, overflowing through all of our lives individually in our, in our work settings, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our playtime, in our recreation time. I mean, even yesterday, I, I appreciate it so much, Jay, you, Declan, this guy named Declan came up towards the end of the day and, and played some paintball with us, and, and Jay took the time to share the gospel with Declan. It wasn't just about paintball. 
For me, it was about self-preservation. You said I didn't hit because I pretty much ducked down behind something. I was just shooting. Like, it's hard to get hit when you're like that. No, but I did get hit once or twice, but they just didn't explode, thankfully, for whatever reason. I was, somebody texted me, and I said, uh, Psalm 3, God, Thou, O Lord, art shield about me, the glory and the lifter of my head. I don't, all you guys that got hit, y'all need to check your quiet times or <laughs> check your giving records or something like that. My God was a shield about me. I know you guys got some marks on you that prove he was not a shield yesterday. He was not a shield. But uh, I pray that we would be growing. I I kid, it had nothing to do with that. But I I pray that we would be growing for one another. I pray that we would do missions on our own, that we would do missions in our neighborhoods, at our schools, that we wouldn't just wait, that we would serve one, not just waiting for a program. I I don't want us to be a church that... You know, I've said it before, like my, like my little kids that ask me, Hey, Daddy, what are we doing tomorrow? What are we doing tomorrow? They, they wait for me and Mom to do everything. I don't want a church like that. I, I, I want to hear about what you're doing. And if there's ways that we as a church can get involved in it, let's do it. We'll have some programs. But we, we individually are ministers. Every single member of the body of Christ is a minister. You go to Ephesians 4, my job is to equip others, you guys, to to do the work of the ministry, to raise you, to mature you, just like you do with your children. Your job as a mom and a dad are to raise your kids so that they can be mature, so they can live on their own, so they can one day, Lord willing, move out and you can have your house back. You know, part of me looks forward to that day and part of me dreads that day. But I don't, want, I don't want to raise kids that are immature. I want them to think on their own. I don't want them to have to constantly come back to me asking me questions. I want them to be thinkers on their own. I want them to have God's Word in them and they would know the mind and the heart and the character of God. They can go live for God. That, that's my heart. And, and I want this church to grow, but I want it to grow well. I want it to grow in a healthy way. I want us to be individuals who love the Lord, who love one another, who come here not for themselves, but come here looking for new faces, looking for people they haven't talked to, looking for ways to serve. That's the way the body of Christ ought to be. Not just come sit in our same seat that we've sat in for the last two and a half years. No, come look for people. Come be friendly. And it all starts with God's Word in us. It starts with God's Word richly dwelling in us. Colossians 3.16 That is how the Spirit will control us. And that's my heart, that we'd be a people satisfied with God, loving God, because He alone, as we sang, He alone is worthy to be loved. He alone is worthy of all our affections, all our praise. He alone is worthy of us sacrificing everything for. And and I pray that we would be a people that everything we do is taken back to the gospel. We don't get saved by the gospel and then go on and live on our own efforts. We are saved by grace and we live by grace. Every single thing that we're commanded to do, believer, goes back to the gospel and what Jesus Christ has already done for us. Even today, we'll see, even today in our giving, it all goes back to what the Savior has done for us. Why would would we... Why would I take the money that I give back to the Lord every single month? Why would I not waste that on myself? Because God didn't waste His life on Himself. We're going to see today that He who was rich became poor for our sake. That's the gospel. 
everything that we're called to do is taken back to the gospel. And, and again, what we see here in, in, as we close, uh, again, Paul has been asked some questions and, and this was one of them. There was an issue about an offering. Paul was taking up an offering for a church in Jerusalem. And, and, and he's talking about this offering and this was his response to this collection for the saints. And we're going to talk today in verses 1 through 4. I really tried to, I set out again to cover verses 1 through 24. There's just too much here in verses 1 through 4 to skip over it. Too many just, it was easy pickings. For a pastor dissecting a passage, it was easy. And and my schedule this week, I was praising God. I needed, I needed, a, I needed a passage that was just right there for you. And I thank you guys for praying um, for Karen and I, we, we, my grandfather, my mother's uh, father, um, he died Easter Sunday. They, they worshipped with him Easter. The whole family was there with him at their house Easter. And uh, he pillowed his head that night and woke up in the presence of his Savior. And, and we couldn't have asked, I could not have asked for a better grandfather. I, 92 years, he got to see four children grow up and have families of their own, seven grandchildren, seven great-grandchildren. And, and it, was, it was easy to do his funeral. It was easy to honor him. Not easy emotionally, but easy to brag on my grandfather. And so I, I, appreciate, um, I appreciate your prayers for that. So that's uh, tough. My grandmother died about two years ago. My grandfather and... I have one grandmother left. And there's a generation of my history and of my family that is disappearing. And that's, that's tough, to, tough to swallow because on the same time I realize that I'm getting old too. So that's, that's not easy. Not easy sometimes. So nobody talks, again, this section is about money. Nobody likes to talk about money. But giving is a huge part of who we are and what we do as believers. The reality is the Bible addresses our giving. The reality is that the Bible is, is, speaks to our giving, gives commands regards to our giving. The reality is that Jesus is Lord of our giving. He's Lord of our pocketbooks. He's Lord of our finances. He's not just Lord of, of these other areas. He's Lord of every area of our lives. He is sovereign, he has jurisdiction, he has ruler, he has reign over every area of our lives. And how we talk, how we handle our money says a lot about who, our, our hearts, it says a lot about our attitudes toward the Lord. We, we can't get around it. Luke 12, 34, that's our, our students, you'll see that on their t-shirts. Our, our address is 1234 Gun Highway and and they were, they were creative and looked up verses that were 12.34. Luke 12.34 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts follow what we value. That's the bottom line. You, you can, we can, we can, when we speak to this topic, you can get uncomfortable. You can wiggle around. You can feel the need to go to the bathroom. All those other things. But the reality is this. It's because this. I know this. My heart and my affections follow that which I value. My heart and my affections follow that which provides 
me comfort and security and safe. And the bottom line is this, am I trusting in a God that has promised to take care of me no matter what? Or am I trusting in, in, in my finances as long as I know that they're where they need to be? That's the bottom line. And I'm a victim of that too. I have a checking account just like you. I have a savings account. And I can fall prey to saying, hey, everything's hunky-dory as long as that thing's above the Mendoza line. Hey, as long as it's above this number, we're good. But that, that's sin. I trust in a God that is provided to take care of me no matter what. Not as long as my checking and savings account is above a certain line. And, and money is addressed in the Bible. And, and this is why I love preaching through books of the Bible. Because it, it, causes us to fo- it causes us to address issues that we might otherwise avoid. It causes us to address issues that may be uncomfortable that maybe challenge us, that maybe we say, hey, the people pleaser in me, I'm a people pleaser. I want you to like me. But guess what? The Bible's not, it's in here. My job is not to be liked. My job is to be honest to the word of God and to give you the whole counsel. And and it'll cause us to, to deal, and we have to deal with the whole counsel of the word of God. Not just the fun parts, not just the easy parts, no matter what it teaches, we have to submit our lives to God's word. And even here with, with money, if, if I just came to you one day, we're going to talk about money today. You're, you're like, oh man, is he picking on us? Or is the church have budget issues? Or is there a problem? Or he must know I'm not giving none of that. I'm preaching on money and giving and our hearts because chapter 16 verse 1 follows chapter 15 verse 58. It makes it real easy for me. If you have a problem with us teaching on it, take it up with the Lord. If you have a problem with what I say today, take it up with the Lord. He wrote it. I'm the delivery man. I, 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 I don't write the mail, I just deliver the mail. And, and we have to be willing, we have to be willing to address our giving. This isn't a sales pitch, this isn't a, this isn't a, a you know, trying to prompt you to give. You all are generous on every level, I appreciate it. You're very gener- this is a very generous church. And this has very little to do with me. So don't, don't think there's agenda or, or, or whatever. But the Bible addresses money. Chapter 16 follows chapter 15. And here we are. And this passage provides us with some very, very rich theological truths regarding the discipline of money and how we handle money and our givings. But it addresses our heart. Bottom line, it's a heart issue. And it's response to grace. Bottom line, a response to grace. That's what we're going to see. The, the, the collection that Paul refers to was, was a major reason that Paul had a third missionary journey. And, and there were a significant amount of Jewish believers in Jerusalem who were impoverished. You can go to, I think we have Romans 15, 26, where Paul addresses this gift. And he says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. That's the reason, that's who Paul is taking this offering up for, for those who were poor. And, and, and again, there was a substantial amount of time and energy given to this. And, and it's interesting, why Paul would, why Paul would do this, and, and it was a lot more reasons 
behind their gift than just that they were poor. And hear me, they weren't poor because they were bad stewards of their money. They were poor because they were suffering for the gospel's sake. They were poor because of persecution. They were poor because of who they were worshiping and who they had placed their allegiance of their life to. They were struggling because a lot of reasons because they were believers. And Paul is taking up an offering, but, but we'll see it goes way beyond just the money. There's unity involved here, there's brotherly love, there's family issues, there's all kinds of great blessings behind what Paul says here and why he does what he does. So I'm going to look first, you see on your handout, the blessings of giving. Lee read chapter, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, and I, I want to comment and give us some, some principles and some truths and, and reference not only chapter 16, but other places, because this, this offering... We don't have a whole lot of details here in chapter 16, and so we have to go to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and some other places, and it helps us fill in the gaps. So we're going to be here, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and, and I pray that we'll be blessed. But the blessings of giving, that's the, the fill-in on your handout. And the first one is this. Giving provides an opportunity to bring greater unity within the church. Unity. We're in this together. We're, we're giving together. And, and this gift would have brought great unity across Gentile and Jewish lines. The gulf here between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers would have been tremendous. And this gift would have helped bridge the gap. The Gentile believers are giving to their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. It would have bridged the gap. It would have bridged the distance, the gulf between the Gentiles and the Jews. And, and what Paul is saying, he's, he's, he's reminding them that we are one body of Christ. In Galatians 3.28, he says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither Greek, there's neither slave, nor free man, nor any of these things, but we're one in Christ. And that's what this offering is showing, that we may be one church in Odessa, but we give and cooperative all the churches in the world come together. And that's what he's giving demonstrates to the world and reminds us that all believers make up one body. That's what Paul is teaching. All believers form one body. Though we are many, we're one body. And it's it's an issue of unity. And, and Paul says in verse 1, he reminds us, now concerning the collection for the saints, we're helping out fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We're one body. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. We, we saw that earlier in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 12. We're one body. The body is not one, for the body is not one member, but many, it says in verse 14 of chapter 12. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. And there were many, many churches that were involved in this. And Paul is pooling a lot of churches' money, and he's going to take a gift to Jerusalem to help their brothers and their sisters in Christ. We're all one, and that's what, that's what giving demonstrates. That we're together, that there's unity, that there's one body. Though we are many members of one body, and collectively we can do more than, than one of us could do all by ourselves. That's the point. Unity. It builds unity. Think about this. If we went after a project, if we had something and, and, and three-fourths of you were giving and, and, and 25% weren't, it, it, it caused disunity. We're not all unified. And Paul is saying, let's get involved here. We're, the body of Christ can't be divided. Unity, but secondly, demonstrates a genuineness of our Christianity. So not only does giving provide a, a chance for us to be unified and grow our unity, it also demonstrates the genuineness. 
the Jews would have doubted, again, 1 Corinthians, very, very early written book. Very, very early written. The Jews, in many respects, would have, would have wondered or doubted whether the Gentile believers, were they really a part of the body? Has this really happened? That Gentiles have been grafted into the body of Christ? That the body of Christ is made up more than just Jewish people? And this gift was, ex- was expressing the genuineness. Again, Paul is looking at the broader framework here, the broader lens to bring unity to a body of Christ that, that, was, that was young, but, but was trying to bring them together because it was divided. You can go to Galatians and see that. It was divided. There was division. There were doubts on the Jewish, the Jewish front as to whether, are the Gentiles really believers? Are they really in? And, and, and again, Paul is widening their lens, and sometimes we fall prey to that too. Or we need to widen our lens, widen our focus, widen our perspective with, with regards to our giving and seeing the corporate nature of the body of Christ. There are things going on all the time that we don't know anything about. And what we do here as Christians affects Christians all over the world, for better or worse, including our giving. It's not just, it's not just your disobedience. You're affecting the body of Christ. And again, we saw that in chapter 12. Some of us are arms. Some of us are legs. Some of us are, are, are pinkies. One of the, I, the, Jay's email, I appreciate it. He said I didn't get hit. I did get hit, but just by the grace of God, it didn't explode all over me. One of the places I got hit was right on the knuckle of this pinky. The thing is black and blue and swollen. If, if you see me drinking coffee my pinky out, I'm not trying to be cute. It's just hard to bend. But, but you know what, I, I, this is just my, my little finger. But as I'm standing here to today, it's throbbing. I notice it. It's just my pinky. I always, I just, it would be easier just to cut it off and move on. It's a pinky, but it hurts. And, and, and the point is this, any kind of unhealthiness in a body, any cancer in the body, any individuals that are hurting that are part of the body, doctors tell you, you don't say, oh, well, I just have cancer in my lung. The rest of my body's good. Oh, I just, have, I just have this here. No, it affects your whole body. And that's what Paul is doing here. The genuineness. He's saying what we do affects the whole body. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 9, verses 12 through 15. And, and they'll come up on your screen as well. 2 Corinthians 9, 12 through 15. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Do, do you see the, the... This is not just about money. It is overflowing in thanksgiving to God. Because of the proof, see? Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surprising, surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. You gotta understand, when we give, and we happen to have a representative, I look over here and we have a representative of the Tampa Bay Baptist Association, when you give here, some of that money helps this church, some of that money helps other local churches here in the Tampa Bay Baptist Association area, we give to them, some of that money goes to the Florida Baptist Convention, some of that money goes to the North American Mission Board, some of that mo- money goes to the International Mission Board, it goes way beyond anything that we could ever do individually. 
There are other churches in Tampa, in Florida, in the United States, and around the world that are existing, that are surviving and existing because of our faithfulness. We may never see it, we never know it, but that's exactly what Paul is saying. Because of your grift, he's saying, others are giving thanks to God. Others are praising God. You may never meet them, you may never know them. But the body of Christ, though we are many, we are one. So not only is it a unity issue, it's a genuineness issue. It's the Gentiles, Paul is saying, hey, Jews, the Gentiles, are, they have a love for you, they're a part of you, they're for you. This is one body. But also it's a testimony to the world regarding our affections and regarding our allegiance. It's an issue of unity, of genuineness, but it's also a testimony John 13, 35 says this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, what? If you have a love for the brethren. A love for the brethren. The badge of Christianity, the identifying marker of Christianity, love for one another. Love for one another. You, you look at John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey my commands. You'll obey my commands. Love and obedience to our Lord shows itself through our following His commands, and part of that command has to do with how we spend our money. Part of those commands and part of the, 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 the proof of our being believers is how we shepherd and steward our money. And the question, because the question people would ask is this, why in the world would you sacrifice for others, especially others you've never met? Others you'll probably never meet. Why would you do that? What would motivate you to do that? How would you come to the point where you would give uh, uh, amounts of money? I'll be the first to tell you, I, I, I'm not innocent of that. I, I've looked at our tithe sometimes, and your flesh thinks, man, we could, we could, that changed our life. It changed our life. But we wouldn't change our life for anything. We, we can't outgive God. And I would rather do that out of obedience and my love and affections for my Savior than spend that on fleshly, temporal things that are going to pass away. And that's what Satan tries to dupe me with. And, and our giving is a proof. It is a marker. It, it tells the world, hey, my affections and my allegiance are in one place, and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not here for my own temporal gains, my earthly pleasures. I'm not here to get up all I can get up. Trust me, there's a part of God gives us to enjoy. Don't hear me saying that. But we have to be careful. Are we living for ourselves or are we living for our Lord? And our giving is proof. It's proof of our allegiance. And when we look at the broader picture, generosity, generosity is a matter of the heart in response to God's grace. That is what the Bible says teaches us when we look at the broader picture in our day we connect generosity with wealth hey if i just had if i could win the lotto i'd start being generous no you wouldn't no you wouldn't that is a lie your generosity has to do with your heart today if you're not generous today you're not gonna be generous tomorrow i, I saw a stat I, I saw i looked at some stats this week i think it was 80 percent of everyone who won the lotto was bankrupt within four years it's a heart issue not a money issue it's a heart issue and 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 we say hey if i was only wealthier if i only had more if i only had this as graciously as i can caution you and 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 something that god has taught me in my own heart no chris you're just selfish 
It's not a money issue, Chris. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Because let me tell you what I do. And, and, and it may fall on some of you too. If I'm not careful, I'm quick to take myself out of the wealthy category. And I'm quick to place responsibilities on the wealthy. They need to take care of that. They're wealthy. Oh, I got some friends who, who you know, I, 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 I have a friend who sold a business for hundreds of millions of dollars. He, he needs to take care of that. Call him. No, 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 Chris. That's your responsibility. See, that is a lie that I tell myself that I'm not wealthy in order to justify my lifestyle. That's a lie I tell myself. And the numbers bear this out. I, I, I won't bore us with a lot of statistics real quick. I, I, I did some, some research this week on Americans and their wealth. Listen to these studies. Studies have shown that based upon income and education, listen to this, that the bottom, and again, as I say these stats, I, I was preparing this. If you're struggling financially today, if, if you're doing the best you can to make ends meet, I do not in any way, shape, or form I'm not trying to lessen that by giving you these stats. If you're struggling today, please call me and we will make sure we help. I can't help you unless you humble yourself and call me. I'm not sharing these stats to make light of your financial woes. I am sharing these to help us get a perspective on what it's like to be in America. Studies have shown, listen, that the bottom 10% of people in America are better off than the top 10% of people in Italy, Brazil, Russia, Portugal, Turkey, and Mexico. The bottom 10% in America are better off than the top 10% in those countries. Think about that. The worse off in America are better off than most of the better off in other countries. There, there were only three countries, listen, there were only three countries in this study that I looked at, Australia, Sweden, and Canada, whose bottom 10% were better than our bottom 10%. Meaning this, the bottom 10% in America are the wealthiest bottom 10% in the whole world, minus three countries. And, and until, hear me, until we... Until we break free of this and go to other countries and see it, this is just going to be a statistic. The, the team of us went to Brazil last year. We, 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 our, our generosity to them, and they loved these meals we gave them, I'll bet you most Americans would have passed by. And this was, a, this was huge to them. Wood floors, no running water, no electricity, no clean water, no bathrooms, no nothing. I mean, what this shows is even the poor in America in general are better off than most other countries. Now, I realize you contextualize that. We live in America and our standards are high and so it is what it is. We don't live in Brazil. I get that. But help, here's what I'm trying to help us understand. God has been very good to us. We are a very wealthy country. And, and, I, and I hear it. I know there, there are people here struggling. I'm not making light of that. And it's very real. But in general, in general, we are very, very wealthy. Very, very wealthy. And in general, someone, listen to this. The statistics said that someone at the poverty line in America, at the poverty line of what America considers poverty. Okay, this is, this is you want it contextualized? A, a person at the poverty line in America 
ranks among the top 14% of wealth in the entire world. Poverty line in America is still in the top 14% of wealth in the world. My point is this. I know my, pers- my tendency is to lose my perspective on my wealth because I'm comparing it horizontally to others instead of comparing it vertically with the Heavenly Father who we just saw in 1 Corinthians that everything we have is from Him. And He's been very good to us. Very good to us. And, and don't, don't, what I'm doing, I'm not knocking the needs of the poor. I'm not knocking that there are real struggles and real, I, I'm not knocking that. What I am saying is if that's in our midst, we ought to be the ones to rally around those people and help them. And, and I saw a stat that said the money spent in America on leisure and sports and recreation would almost end world poverty on an annualized basis. The money spent on sports, leisure activities, recreation, and all that. we got to ask the questions. And a lot of times the heart-wrenching answer for me that the Holy Spirit says to me is, Chris, you got a, you've got a heart problem. You've got a contentment problem. You've got, you got a problem, Chris, establishing what's enough and anything above that you're going to use for God. Because what's my tendency is, hey, if I get a little extra, I spend a little extra. I get a little more, I spend a little more. I get a little more, I spend a little more. It's hard to be content. And, and look with me at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Just again, to show you, those are worldly stats. Look, look at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia. Okay, stop right there. What were they focusing on? Grace. That in a great ordeal of affliction, okay, not good circumstances, okay, great ordeal of affliction, it says. This is what happened. An abundance of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep Poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So what were they liberal? They were generous in a fiery affliction and in poverty. That was the context in which they overflowed. For I testify that according to their ability, listen, and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Listen to the verse 4. I, I, I read this that I had to stop. Again, I, I, I'm not going to preach beyond my I had to repent. Begging us with much urging for the favor of the participation and the support of the saints. They were begging to sacrificially give to help their brothers and sisters in Christ. Begging. Begging. And this, not as we had expected, but they first, listen to this. Here was the, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Everything in their life flowed out of, number one, giving themselves to the Lord and the grace of God. They gave out of poverty. They were responding to God's grace. It says they gave beyond their ability. Look, look at chapter 8, verse 14. Go down to verse 14. You're talking about unity. You're talking about generosity. You're talking about proof. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need so that their abundance may also become a supply for your need. There's reciprocity here. Why is it possible that God has prospered us so 
so that we could take care of one another. And in taking care of one another, if we ever have a need, I know that they're going to take care of me. But that, that's what a family, that's what the body of Christ ought to be. But that takes faith. Because if the Hewitts have a problem, and I sacrifice to give to the Hewitts, I'm saying, oh, now if I ever have a problem, I hope the Hewitts will reciprocate. But that's faith. And it's not a faith in the Hewitts. I'm not picking on them. That's a faith in our Lord to work through the Hewitts, to provide. Because ultimately, God provides through you to other people and through me to other people, but ultimately it's God, the one that's supplying the need. He's the one doing it. I've got no grounds to boast. You know, I see that check. I'm not bragging, but I, I, we make a choice every week. We support children through Compassion International. That's a choice we make. It's a sacrifice. And I'm not bragging. I'm simply saying every month I could think of 20 things I'd do for myself. But by the grace of God, God gave me a wife that just is non-negotiable. Pray for her husband. But, but we give, we've been given much to provide for one another. To provide for others, not to stockpile, but to provide for others. And, 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 and the grace, God's grace was the focus of the giving of the early church. It was the grace of God. They were compelled by God's grace to give. Compelled. That was their motivation. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and, and, and this is the, the summary of that motivation. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for our sake He became poor, so that through His poverty, so that you through His poverty might become rich. That's the gospel. Christ emptied himself on our behalf that we would be rich in God's grace and forgiveness. And then you know what he says? Go do likewise. Go do likewise and trust me. It's all a response to grace. Even the word back in chapter 16, the collection, now concerning the collection for the saints, that word there is a form of the word charis, which is grace. It's grace. It's grace. It's all about grace. And if you put all the passages together that talk about this collection, all of them refer to grace. Fellowship, offering, kindness, collection, gift, they're all pointing back to God's grace. And the implications were far-reaching. In, in 2 Corinthians 8, 4, he uses the word fellowship. That's what was gained through this offering. In Acts 24, 17... It was an offering to God. They viewed this as an offering to God. In 2 Corinthians 9.1, called Paul called it a ministry. A ministry. It was all one offering. One collection. All of those things were accomplished in the body of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 9.12, you see it referred to as thanksgiving. It's thankfulness. And, and it, here's my point. It went beyond the money. For Paul, it was responding to the grace of God and it ministered not only to God's people, but their giving ministered to God Himself. It was a ministry. It was about helping others. And the result was thanksgiving and the result was fellowship. We, we can't be selfish and stingy and expect those things to be bountiful in our lives. It's not going to happen. That's the challenge. 
And, and we have to see our giving through a broader lens, through a broader framework than just Idlewild, Odessa. Again, churches in Tampa Bay, through our giving, roofs are put on churches who can't afford it. Air conditions are put in churches who can't afford it just in Tampa Bay. Through our giving. Through our giving be pulled with association. Our giving goes to Idlewild. Idlewild sends money to the association locally, to Florida, to national, and to international churches all over the world. We'll never see them, but... but it's responding to grace. All of us collectively are responding to grace. And the natural question becomes this. How do we make this a discipline? Okay, I get it, Chris. But how do I make it a discipline? How do I bring discipline in our lives? And you're talking to a guy, a sanguine personality. I have great strengths as a sanguine. Discipline is not one of them. Consistency, not one of them. Planning ahead, seeing 20 years out, not in front of, not, not, not a strength of mine. Just not. But how do, how do we become disciplined? And that's the second point here, the disciplines of giving. The disciplines of giving. Every believer, hear me, what we see here, in, in, starting in verse 2, every believer has a responsibility to give. Every believer. Look at what he says. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, and so do you also. So do you also. For on the first day of every week, each one of you. Again, he didn't say, hey, the top 2%, take care of this. The top earners. No, no, he says each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. The word directed in verse 1 uh, my, my, my translation says directed. That word literally means commanded. It means commanded. It's a very, very strong word. I commanded you, Paul says. This is not optional. And, and, and it's interesting. It follows immediately verse 58 of chapter 15. So put it into context. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, one of the works of the Lord is, is my generosity. It's my generosity. You know how I prove that I'm immovable? That I'm abounding steadfast in the grace of God? It's through generosity. It's through sacrificially giving myself to one another. That's one of the proofs. That's the first thing he says after he gives that command. He says, every one of you, rich, poor, Gentile, Jew, there's no no exceptions, there's no exemptions. He doesn't say, hey, pastors, you're exempt. No, I'm not exempt. I'm right here with you. I battle the same fleshly things that you battle. And, and, and so not only is a responsibility, but giving is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Look at verse 3, or verse 2. He says, he's talking about so that no collections have to be made. Giving begins in the heart. And, and it's somebody who cares about the basic needs of other believers, of other people. We've seen that already this morning. It's a heart issue. That, that's what this collection was all about. It was about sending a gift to Jerusalem to take care of believers' basic needs. Survival. So they can survive, he says in verse 3. And, and, and the financial plight, or plight rather, was due to famine. It was due to persecution. It was due to economic sanctions against them as believers. It made it very difficult for, for a new believer in that day to hold, to hold a job. 
because they were a believer, they were being persecuted. And he's saying it's a heart issue. You've got to understand, you have believers, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling mighty. Help them out. Help them out. It's a heart issue. Responsibility, a heart issue, but not only that, every believer must make a plan to give. You've got a plan on giving. There was nothing accidental about this. You didn't stumble into it. On the first day of every week, put aside and save as he may prosper. He didn't say, hey, go to the end of the week, balance the books. If there's anything left, throw some. First day of the week. First day of the week. We're to give the Lord our first, not our last. We're to give our best, not our leftovers. This, giving should come before bill paying, before pursuing hobbies, before eating out, before repaying debt. We give. We give. And, and Christian giving is an act of faith. It's a trust issue. For me, for you, it's, it's always going to be a trust issue. Do we believe God? Do we trust Him? It's an act of faith, but it's on purpose. It's on purpose. And not only is it by faith on purpose, but it's with purpose. It's with purpose. There was nothing accidental. It was entirely intentional. And look what Paul says. He says, so that when I arrive, no collections have to be made. Here's what Paul did not want to do. He did not want to show up and have to twist their arms. He did not want to show up and have to coerce them. He did not want to show up and have to do this fancy building fund and spend all this time and energy doing that. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to have a campaign. He didn't want to have a hard sell. He says, I want to show up and I want there, to be a, there ought to be a gift ready for me to take to Jerusalem. And notice he didn't amount, mention an amount. He didn't say 10%. He says, as you have prospered. I get the tithe. I'm not against the tithe. And it might be heretical for me as a pastor to say anything against the tithe. I get that. You don't find that 10% mentioned in the New Testament past the Gospels. You hear that, right? 10% may be what you're good with. I would challenge you. Are you giving 10%? Am I giving 10%? Am I giving whatever I'm giving because it's convenient? Or because it's what the Lord told me to give? Am I giving it because it's easy? And, it, and, and I can just be self-righteous and say I give? Or am I giving it because that's what the Lord led to? For you, it could be 6%. Here's the challenge for some of us to give 2% might require more faith than for others in here to give 20%. It's response to grace. It's not about an amount. It's about a heart. It's about a response to grace. And again, I have a set salary. You have a set salary. If, if 10% works, do it, but make sure you're doing it out of faith. Not doing it because it's easy. Not doing it because it's convenient. Not doing it so you can check the box and get people off your backs. Whatever the amount is you're giving, it ought to be by faith. And it ought to be a response to grace. And you know why you're giving the amount you're giving. I'm not going to badger you on that. You know. But there will be blessings. Hear me. Paul does not hold punches. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. There will be blessing and consequences to our generosity. In verse 6, Now this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. You want to be cheap? Okay, you're going to reap cheap. Galatians 6, 8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, he reaps. And he who reaps, who sows bountifully will also reap 
bountifully. Y'all wonder why I didn't get hit yesterday in paintball. No, I'm just kidding. It had nothing to do with my giving, trust me. Each one must do, listen to this. He doesn't give an amount. What does he say? Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have in abundance for every good deed. Do you trust that? It's faith. Hey, you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. This is not a name it, claim it. You know my heart. You've been with me two and a half years or whatever. I ain't into the prosperity gospel and all that stuff. I don't give to hold God hostage. God has bankrupted heaven already. I give because what he's done already. If God did nothing more for me for the rest of my life, I will always be indebted to his grace. I'm not giving to twist his arm. I'm not giving so my wash machine doesn't break. I'm giving because of Calvary. And I will always give to Calvary. If I, have, if I could be stricken with a sickness tomorrow, that does not compromise God's goodness and his worth of my offering. My house could burn down tomorrow. I'm going to give because God is worthy. Now, there may, don't, I say that, there may be some interruptions if my house burns down, but I'm going to give. I'm going to give. And it's response to grace. Lastly, the church is the place where we're to bring our giving. Not lastly, almost. The church is the place. Again, on the first day of every week, each of you. Again, already early on in the church history, they were already had shifted from a Saturday worship to a Sunday worship. The church was the place where they were bringing their offering. The church. And, and, and Christians give in the church and Christians give for the church. And I don't mean this building. I mean the body of Christ. We're the church. Under, under my leadership, I want us to have a nice building to worship in, but I want it to be a modest building. I don't want to consume a ton of our resources providing for ourselves. Be able to give them away. But it demonstrates when we come and give, it demonstrates our commitment to one another. It demonstrates our commitment to the Lord. Again, the first day of the week. But, but it, ought to be, it ought to be joyful more than dutiful. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 9. It ought to be a joy. It says in 2 Corinthians 8 that they were eager, they were begging to give. But, but also the first day of the week, some disciplines to help you. It ought to be regular. It ought to be regular. And I get it, we live in a world where some people work on commission, dot, dot, dot. Regular for your circumstance. If you, if you close a big deal every six months, then maybe you only give every six months. I understand that. And I think the Lord understands that. It's a heart issue. But it should be regular. As he may prosper, it says. I think Paul is giving them, hey guys, what he's saying to these slaves, hey, if you had a big week, it may be this. If you had a bad week, it may be this. It's between you and the Lord. As you may prosper. And again, be careful because, again, the tithe, to, to tithe, the tithe in that day in the, in the Old Testament and all that, again, just to give us some background, they say, you know, I don't want some people walking out here saying Chris doesn't believe in the tithe. I just think we have to be very, very careful with that. And, and, and here's, I, I believe the Bible, and, and I think there's a reason in the, in, the, in the rest of the New Testament after the Gospels, the Bible is silent to the word tithe because Christ has bankrupt himself for us. He gave everything. He didn't just give 10%. 
And the tithe was a tax. Israel was a nation. It was a country. That tithe provided for that nation in a very similar way. I pay taxes and I give. In that day, they paid taxes and they had free will offerings. They had grace offerings. They had all kinds of offerings. Every third year, they had another offering. Their, their offering would have been somewhere total in the 30 to 35% range. Take your tax bracket if you want to, figure it out, and have a field day with it. I don't know what to tell you. Respond to grace. I mean, maybe, maybe giving a specific amount, that helps your budgeting. I get it, but it's a heart issue. If you're doing it with a heart, with a heart it's a heart issue. And, and again, 10% for some of us may be a little too easy. Maybe a little too easy. I dare say in my life, as, as, my, as my salary grows, our giving grows. I don't need to adjust. And what once was hard now is a little easier. And for many of us, for many of us, prosperity is a better test of character, a bigger test of character than poverty. It's prosperity. What are we doing on our prosperity? That's a bigger test for some of us. Lastly, Christians should demand integrity from those to whom they give. If you give to this church, you ought to demand integrity on how we handle that. If you give to Compassion International, I just use that as an example, you ought to demand integrity. Whatever organization you give to, demand integrity. Shame on you if you allow them to be flippant and casual. Like they said in that video, if you allow them to be fast and loose with your money, find somewhere else to give it. And for Paul, there was, there was safety in numbers and there was accountability. He says, when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift, and it is fitting for me, I'll go with them also. I'm not sending all this money with one person. We're going to go together. There's going to be accountability. And, and, and at Idlewild, I will promise you, they take great. If you if, ask Tom, ask the guys who take the offering over to Idlewild. It, it's like breaking into a bank. To get that money dropped off over there. John will tell you. They take a lot of pains to make sure there's integrity. And safety. And security. But we must be disciplined if we're going to give. That's the bottom line. So application. Application. Not only their blessings but their discipline. You see it on there. Just, just do a self inventory. Do you do your part within the body of Christ? I think about this. If you've ever seen a, a whale or a, a shark swimming through the water. There's these little sucker fish that latch on to it. They just latch on to the whale, and they go wherever the whale goes. My fear is that sometimes we can be that as Christians. We're just along for the ride. We just latched on to a fun, healthy church, and we're just along for the ride. We're contributing nothing. Ask yourself, are, are, are you doing your part? Are you doing your part? Are you a contributor? Or are you a taker? Are you a contributor or are you a consumer? Are you a provider or a user? Is your giving, can you honestly say your giving is in line with how you've prospered? Is your giving in line with how you've prospered? Is your, is your giving purposed or is it accidental? Purposed or accidental? What, what, does your, what does your giving, what does my giving say about how I've responded to grace? 
What would it say if I opened it up and saw? What would be my conclusion and what would be your conclusion about my giving and mine about yours about how you've responded to grace? And lastly, what does your giving say to the world about Christ? What does it say to the world about how you value Christ? Think on those. Pray through those.